This is episode 157 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, Is This the End of America's Pastime? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. All right, Andrew Pridgen is back in the house. I'm really excited to welcome Andrew back. He, if you may remember, was on the show on April 20th when the World Wrestling Entertainment had just come back to be live. And as I recall, a lot of that episode with Andrew was me mostly going, what? Really? How? What? So he's back again with a similar kind of topic today to help us out to understand what's happening with baseball. So welcome back, Andrew. Hi, thanks for having me back. I don't get invited back to many things, so this is, this is wonderful for me. No, we're uh, we're delighted to have you. And I'll just remind the listeners that you're a sports journalist, actually with expertise in contracts, which will be very appropriate for our topic today. And a couple other things. Uh, you've mentioned that your first novel is going to be out in September, so I'm hoping we have a chance to chat about that toward the end. And you've also written uh, for lots of places. You used to write for your own blog, Death of the Press Box, which is how I knew about you, especially writing about skiing. Mm -hmm. You've also written for McSweeney's, Powder Magazine, Grist.org, and you've said here a bunch of blogs that I've never heard of. Also, and if I'm pronouncing this right, Sisu Magazine? Yeah, Sisu, yeah. Yeah, Sisu, and you mentioned that uh, in our April episode, uh, that that's mostly female writers writing about sports, if if I have that right? It's all female writers and female owned. And they they do write about sports, mostly mountain sports. They're they're headquartered in Reno. So they write write a lot about the Sierra Nevada, but um it's also an international publication. And yeah, it's uh I, I get to be the the column in the back called That's What He Said. And oh yeah. It's yeah, it's making fun of my my gender, I guess, the best way I know how. It, I, it works sometimes, other times it doesn't work. So it's kind of hard because when you submit uh, to them, you know, they're looking at it with a jaundiced eye. And my my purpose is to kind of make them laugh. And, and sometimes you're they're laughing at you, not with you. <laughs> so. <laughs> I see. So I was going to say, yeah, making space for a male voice. But yeah, it depends on what you do with that male voice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I will fully advocate. I'll put my pen down because I don't know if we need to make space for male voices right now. And I mean that. But I'm, I'm happy to be invited to the party. Again, I don't get a lot of uh, invitations. So I'll, I'll take the ones I get. Right, especially for writing these days, that that's the case. Yeah. Okay, so bring us up to speed now about what the heck has been happening 
uh, with negotiations leading up to. And so do I have this right that we have settled on an opening date of July 23rd or 24th? Yeah, there will be a season. And it's funny, you reached out to me and, and I was I was going to try to pitch you something because I think this season is is completely ludicrous for myriad reasons. Some of them we'll get into, but I think the the big ticket item which stuck out to me was, you know, the union and the the commissioner and the owners were going back and forth for probably almost two months. And then they finally came down to a 70 game season agreement and the owners seemed okay with that and the players union rejected it. And then the next day, uh, I believe it was June 23rd, Rob Manfred, the commissioner just came in and he imposed the season on the players. So this is something, and it's in position in every sense of the word because clearly we're in a pandemic. I mean, what's more than imposing than the owner of your league taking you away from your family and those players, especially who've been trying to quarantine and force you back onto the field with other players. Um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And I feel bad for everyone involved, uh, starting with the players, but especially the, the people that you don't see, the groundskeeping crews, the concessioners, um, which there probably won't be any, but we can get into that in a minute. You know, just every support person that's going to have to, the hotel workers that are going to have to put these guys up, the people that are going to have to fly them around. I mean, everyone is susceptible now to being exposed, uh, again, starting with the players themselves. And what for? For a truncated, for a season that's a third of its intended length and a question mark for the postseason. I just, I, I can't think of anything. I can't think of a worse agreement or a worse imposition. It's funny. It has um, it has some reminiscences for me of WWE, where the uh, the entertainers were forced to come back by mm-hmm. you know forces greater than themselves, right? So, yeah, it's it's at times like this where you really kind of see where the power lies, right? Yeah, we talked about it at length in my first podcast with you, and and how Vince McMahon is able to kind of use this showman bully pulpit uh, of his to literally, like you said, force his players back into work while he was furloughing and or laying off a lot of big names just to make his perceived bottom line. Major League Baseball owners are no different in the commissioner who I think to this point, Rob Manfred was seen as a pretty genial guy and a pretty player-friendly commissioner, if, if there is such a thing. But I think he's lost. It was one of those things where he, he sort of straddled the fence long enough that I think he's lost confidence of everyone. And, and he's had to sort of step in. I mean, with Vince McMahon, you see pretty clearly, okay, this guy's going to be a show-must-go-on guy at all costs. And so it wasn't surprising that he sequestered everyone in Orlando and, and let them film Monday Night Raw, but Manfred is clearly not comfortable with this role. And I guess that makes him look even more weak or he's been, he's, he's been the the subject of much criticism uh, on all sides and it's, it hasn't been a good look for him. Interesting. When, what do they say when push comes to shove, right? How, Mm -hmm. how things, uh, yeah, how things develop. So, so take us a bit into the negotiations 
And if I have this wrong, please forgive me because I, I just looked at this and as usual, it's like, what? I need someone to help me uh, understand <laughs> this. So I was under the impression as the negotiations were going back and forth that the owners wanted fewer games and the players wanted more. It seems like that would have been the opposite. So do I have this completely backwards? Yeah, the owners didn't necessarily want fewer games. Uh, the imposed season was shorter because they thought it would be one of the ways to avoid a total work stoppage. So if you're an owner at this point, you, you come back and they say, well, it, we can, we can, we can pretty much make them do 60 games. I don't, I don't think we can make them do more than that. And that's just because of the nature of how fast time was moving too. Oh, so they were losing time during these negotiations. Exactly. And so if this, this is the end of June. So had another month gone on, I don't really think, me personally, I don't think it's worth spinning up a season for a third of the season, especially as, especially if you look at the factors that surround the season, even today. Had our, our three months of quarantine, give or take, worked, you could have, I think, plausibly made an argument for a shortened season. But as I think five or six MLB teams, even since the agreement was struck or imposed, have had players test positive. And as mm -hmm. players have, as individuals, backed off uh, of playing it all this season, I, it, it just, it's the, it's the old, like someone's traipsing along with the basket full of eggs and the eggs are just falling out one by one, you yeah. know, by the time they get home. I don't, I don't even, I, I think that's an analogy. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like the image, right? Yeah, it's something about, yeah, as time goes on, we're, uh, yeah, right. we're losing our eggs. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I, I think players, to, to juxtapose that, if they didn't play at all, they were going to get 4% of their pay. And for, for some players who have guaranteed contracts or have long term deals, sort of the, the, the top 1% or 2%. Uh, of the league, it, it wasn't going to matter for them either way. But a lot of players are in contract years or they're going into arbitration years or they're young and they want to go play baseball. And so I think that answers your question a little bit of where they are. If, you know, if, if you're going to have a season, if, I, if I'm going to have to keep my body like this in, mm -hmm. in, in ready to go shape, and if I'm going to be playing some games, I might as well be playing as as many games as you can give me and get as as big a percent of my contract as I can get. And I'm sure that was supported by their agents and and other people around them too. Yeah, that actually makes sense, right? Yeah. If you're gonna play at all, let's make it meaningful so I have a lot of at bats and right. Because yeah, because of the sort of barriers to entry to playing at all, if I'm going to overcome that, then I may as well have a lot of, or as many games as I can, so I can make enough money and also make a showing. And I think you and I touched on this before. I can't remember how, but you know, this issue of losing a whole year out of your career at their mm -hmm. age mm -hmm. or at any age for a professional athlete is really, you know, could have really profound ramifications for them. Yeah especially players coming into the league, trying to make a ball club mm -hmm. uh, because maybe you were ready at the end of last season and didn't get your shot. And then to go another season without playing, then someone else is, is pretty much there to take your spot and you yeah. never got your, your turn. Yeah. So it happens that quickly when your career averages two or three years, you, you can miss your entire window. So 
so clearly guys want to get out and play, but I don't know. They've been rolling out pressers or, you know, bigger name players and, and trying to, I think, get the hype machine going. And Cody Bellinger came out. He's a Dodger. He's the reigning National League MVP. And one of my friends commented, he's like, this looks like a hostage video. <gasps> he just looked gobsmacked, not, not just to be in front of cameras again, but they weren't giving him very tough questions. But clearly the amount of enthusiasm he had for a 60-game season and the, and, the, and, the, and the kinds of expectations he was trying to set were, were so low. It, it was almost mm. like it was almost like interviewing for a job. I remember when I was in high school and, and interviewed for a job at Target. And which is a great job. And I'm not saying anything bad about Target. I was very lucky to be there. But I think the kind of enthusiasm that I had for that job interview was probably about what we saw. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> you know, it's to be a cart guy. And I wanted to have a job and be able to afford some of the things that high schoolers want to afford. But it, you can only get excited about pushing carts around a parking lot uh, all day. You can you can only so, say so much about that, and it really looked like not a, it was a labor of love for him, but but someone was pretty much putting him in this chair, saying, "Sorry, you gotta you gotta do this, you gotta try to hype up the season," and and there was no <laughs> no love, no no James Earl Jones in the background rhapsodizing about America's game. It was it was it was kind of a sad moment, and I think like every worker, they're afraid of going to work and getting sick and they're mm-hmm. afraid of going to work and getting their loved ones sick. Mm-hmm. And w- when that, when that is hanging over your head every day, I mean, you have to be a complete sociopath to, to say like, I voluntarily, I, or, or was made to go back to work and I got sick and I got the guy next to me sick. Mm-hmm. And I went home and got my significant other sick. And some of these guys, a lot of them have young families. A lot of them have aging parents. I mean, they're, they're exactly like us and they're really scared. And I saw scared reigning NL MVP sitting in front of a microphone, not wanting to be there. That's so painful to watch. Mm. So let's talk a little bit more about the negotiations because I do think that this helps us understand the power dynamics when the chips are down in a situation like this. So I I read the way it was phrased somewhere, I think, was that the owners voted unanimously for a 60-game season. But the way you've said it, and maybe this is the way of saying it the same, is that the commissioner imposed it. Are those kind of the same? I I think the commissioner definitely acts at the behest of the owners. Okay. Uh, if, If that wasn't made if it wasn't implicit, it's, it's, it's implicitly clear at this point. Okay. I I think Manfred was one of the first of any sports organization, including Vince McMahon to kind of get out in front of COVID and say, but we're going to be the first league that's back up and running in a meaningful way. Because at the time the NBA was shutting down on the cusp of their playoffs and football was kind of far out but was and is still a question mark college sports had completely shut down so manfred said we're going to get out in front of this thing we're going to have options i don't know if you recall at the at the very beginning they were going to maybe host a whole season in arizona oh yeah Mm -hmm. um and they could have they could have uh, hosted the entire season there and and probably done a more effective job of quarantine teaming players there but i think the owners in manfred they love having the gate. Yes. 
I think early on it was their goal, whether it was a stadium that was going to be a, a third capacity with social distancing. I think, I think there was a vision that we're, we're definitely going to get up and running maybe as soon as April or May. And we're definitely going to have fans at some point this year and things have just not gone their way. And so, yes, the Manfred is, is definitely carrying water for the owners. Uh, but there's an argument right now that the, the union didn't vote in favor of a general strike because their collective bargaining agreement is up on December 1. Oh. And so now the union has this big chip to carry to the negotiation table for them. I'm not, I'm not sure I buy that argument, but that's what a lot of people are saying why the, the union uh, kowtowed for this one. I see. So that was an option for them to strike and they chose not to. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now, the other thing that I was, when I was trying to understand what the uh, issues were during the negotiation, I was under the impression that the owners were pushing for a reduction off a prorated salary amount. So to me, a prorated uh, salary amount would be we're going to look at what the whole schedule would have gotten you for your annual salary, your season salary. And if it's going to be a half, then you're going to get half. If it's going to be a third, you're going to get a third. But somehow they seem to be pushing for even less than that. Like you were going to get 70% of your prorated salary amount. And right. This is a dumb question, but <laughs> like, how can you justify that? Like, how did that seem fair? to anybody right this is the biggest question in all of em employer employee relations how can you expect workers to come back in the middle of the nation and the globe's biggest health crisis of the last century maybe longer that's killing people now in in world war portions in this country and how can you expect then to not only ask them to work a shortened season for a prorated amount but a percentage of that. And the owner's metric is, is simply, well, I'm not getting gate. I'm not getting concessions. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a little, even though TV contracts and the MLB TV contract has been worked out in advance, I'm, I'm taking less for, for that. So I'm going to pass that on to you, oh. the, the worker. And there's different ways of, of them rationalizing and are justifying, but really that's, I, I think that's kind of the simplest way. There, there's there's much more complicated, I think, legalities around it or legalese around it, but that's essentially what they're doing. They're they're passing the hit they're taking onto the onto their players. And it's one of those things where if you have a very special skill and there's no one else you can take that skill to, yeah, you kind of have to take it unless you decide not to. Personally, I think that I, I think there. I, I mean, I think there should probably be a general strike period. But I think one of the things that ball players can do is sort of lead by example. And if this isn't a great year to strike, I don't know. I I can't I can't picture a better one to do that. I see. So speaking of what options they have. And I think you mentioned this when we first started talking about doing this episode is some players are bowing out. And I think I saw Buster Posey. I just mm -hmm. said that he isn't going to come back. What does that mean for players who've just said, okay, I'm not coming? Like, are they still going to be paid? 
and you know who who else is doing this what's the what what is their thinking yeah buster again is is one of those guys who good for him is one of the two percenters of the game not only in what he's accomplished on the field he's i think pretty much won every individual award you can he's mm-hmm. got three world series rings he's currently towards the end of an eight-year 159 million dollar contract mm-hmm. so he earns he earns almost 20 million a year on average. And I think that's all guaranteed. Okay. So his contract expires actually at the end of next year, at the end of the 2021 season with a club option for the 2022 season. So I don't know specifically how he gets paid out. I don't know if there's a pandemic clause or, or (laughs) if if this year's, if this year is going to cut down on that, it's like 19875000 So like I said, almost $20 million. Like, I don't know if this year is going to be 3 or 4% of that or if he cares. Yeah. I think that's something his agent and his legal team is going to work out with, with his ball club. And maybe, and maybe some of that comes back to the Giants in 2022. This is his, he's playing out just because he's a catcher and he's past the prime of his career. He's playing out the last big contract he'll ever have. Uh-huh, right. Um, he may sign as a free agent somewhere else for a handful of years, or he may he may just finish his career. He has other teammates who won a few World Series with him who did the same, who Matt Cain being his battery mate did the same thing. He just finished out his contract with the Giants and said, I know when to fold up shop here. So Buster's a rare example, but there's other big names. Mike Leak of the of the Diamondbacks, Ryan Zimmerman, he plays first base for the reigning world champion nationals. I remember him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe Ross, who's a nationals pitcher. Ian Desmond, uh, he's a Rockies outfielder. David Price is the Dodgers oh. big ticket free agent, uh, left-handed pitcher. He's, he's stepping out. Uh, Tyson Ross is a, oh, a wow. younger pitcher for the giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, Felix Hernandez is now playing for the Braves. Nick Mercakis is an outfielder for the, so, wow. you know, s- slowly over the last, I guess month, but more more two or three weeks, people are are hedging away or or announcing outright they won't play. Mike Trout, who's the reigning mm-hmm. AL MVP, has has made a lot of noise that he's got reservations for playing out this season, but he's kind of giving it a wait and see approach right now. I don't know if that's going to change. People like Sean Doolittle, who's a relief pitcher for the Nationals, he's a good Twitter follow, by the way. He's an oh. avid reader, a big proponent of. In, of independent bookstores. Oh, cool! <laughs> when when he's on a road trip, he goes to an independent bookstore and he takes a photo. And he he had a presser, I think, about a week ago, where he he took a lot of the the party line of why what, why are we even here? Sports is um, the sports is your reward for a functioning society. Oh why? yeah, I've heard that quote. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, and he and I hadn't heard an athlete say it yet. It's, it's been going around, but yeah, it's, that's absolutely true. And he said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a epidemiologist. I don't know everything. I want to learn more. I'm trying to learn more, but I I can say this doesn't seem like a great idea. (laughs) It seems pretty half-baked at this point. So what about uh, players testing positive? It seems like, you know, I've just seen the headlines, but it does seem as though people are testing positive. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it seems, does that seem unavoidable? What do you think? Are we going to just keep dropping eggs along as we go? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for, thanks for backing me up on that one. Uh, (laughs) uh, 
Royals, Phillies, Blue Jays, Tampa, Astros have all had confirmed cases in their clubhouse. Wow. There, there are rumors that there have been other cases. The clubs don't necessarily need to disclose uh, these, especially in the run-up to the season. But uh, I think the Phillies were the first to shut down their spring training camp, and they had three or four. And then I, I think lots of clubs have probably had a player or a staff person uh, test positive. Uh, probably at the same rate of the national average would be my guess. Mm -hmm. But I I think the worry is you're going to get two weeks into a season. And now all of a sudden these guys are, are going to be up close and talking. And there's, there's a lot of stuff that MLB is trying to do, but you can't put a plexiglass shield between the first baseman and the runner or rather the batter and the catcher, you know, there's, there's going to be contact on the field. There's definitely going to be contact in the dugout. I mean, it's not as bad as wrestling, but still. (laughs) (laughs) Baseball is a pretty gropey sport, though. And like everything else, these guys, they're they're showering together. They're changing together. They're in the Mm -hmm. locker room together. They're they're on the plane together. God forbid teams decide to mix it up with one another and and have to pour out of the dugout. I think there's some explicit rules about that. But you never know. I mean, tensions are high and tempers flare. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I would be genuinely surprised if if we got, I want to say, three weeks into the season without major flare-ups in multiple clubhouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I guess the question is what happens then? And I, yeah. I suppose nobody knows. Uh, yeah, I think I think it just, it's, it's funny to me because going back to Manfred for a minute, I think we have a lot of organizations going across I, I'm thinking of CEOs of organizations, CEOs of, of NGOs, people who are running even small businesses, people trying to run bars, trying to run restaurants. I mean, everyone is is literally just making this up as they go. When you don't have a unified approach to something, you're just going to get a disastrous outcome. And you're going to get people like us playing guessing games. And really, like, Mm -hmm. these are guessing games that you're playing with other people's not only livelihoods, but with their lives. And when you have someone like Manfred in charge, you you assume a few things that they've that they've done the work, that they've been in an organization long enough to be able to run it, that they have a a break glass in case of emergency contingency plan. And I think what a lot of this has done is laid bare the fact that a lot of these patriarchal businesses or organizations, it'd be, it'd be like building a, a building and saying, okay, this is a fireproof building, but just in case there's a fire, we're going to pay this fire crew top dollar to put it out. And then the building lights on fire and you look to these guys who are heads of these and you say, okay, lead us. Mm-hmm. This this is your time. Put out the fire, and they kind of shrug and go, "I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just as lost as you are." And I think I think that feeling um, is palpable, not just in MLB, but you know, across a lot of industries where we pay a lot of people a lot of money uh, to to help give us the answers, and they're and they're they're gobsmacked. I think you speak for a lot of people there, Andrew, about just how we have felt watching the so-called authorities deal or not deal with this. And I, yeah, I, I mean, it's a topic for another day, but I am I do believe that you speak for a lot of people and just being surprised. 
that there wasn't more of a, okay, let's pull this notebook down off the shelf and open this to this page. And yeah, here we go. This Somebody's thought this through. Yeah. And I don't want to see my here. I'm, I'm not a 12 year old. So I, I know these men and women that play sports are a small fraction of our society and they're held in high regard for, for talents that may or may not translate to them being good people. But I don't want to see my my Cody Bellingers or my LeBron James is forced into situations that they don't want to be in and not be able to have any recourse. Like that that I think that defeats the whole purpose of 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 why we're here, why we're doing this thing, why why we do, you know, have those moments of suspended disbelief where we where we watch someone shoot a ball or hit a ball 400 feet and we think, wow, like if he or she can do that thing, then maybe I can do my thing that I'm, that I'm trying to be good at. Cause that's, I think what sports give us. But when you, when you roll these people out and clearly they don't even want to be out there doing the thing they love or that makes uh, them a good living, it's, it's kind of demoralizing for the rest of us too. It's a really interesting point. And I think if anyone had told us when you and I were cackling about McMahon forcing the poor wrestlers out there mm-hmm. in clearly dangerous situations, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's wrestling for you. If someone had said to us back in April, oh, you think that's just wrestling? Wait till you watch what happens in baseball. I think I at least would have had, you know, a clutching my pearls moment of, well, not baseball. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That wouldn't happen to baseball. But here we are, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so let's talk a little bit about TV and and the blackouts. Mm -hmm. Like as fans, what do you think is going to happen with this 60 game season? Are we going to be able to watch games on TV? Demoralizing though it might be. And these poor people are like Coliseum games forced to be out there. (laughs) But, but yeah, what, what's our prospect for television? Yeah. As an aside, I I was having a conversation with uh, the, the writer, uh, Kyle Megan, who did death of the press box with me. Mm -hmm. And he and I were talking about adopting a team for this season. So pretty much going and picking out of a hat a team we know nothing about and learning as much as we can about them, not only their current players and staff, but their history and, mm. and, and all the good stuff about it and just become pretty much a fan of that, <laughs> of, of that franchise for okay. a year to see if it takes or whatever, because this is a big mulligan anyway. So I guess, you know, that, I guess that's our side bet, but we were looking in to answer your question and to, would we re-up for the MLB TV package and what the what the blackout situation looks like? And it's pretty atrocious. I think there's still MLB TV still wants ninety three dollars for the truncated season. Wow. It's it's normally I think a hundred and hundred fifteen to one hundred twenty. Wow. Um, so you're still paying a premium. Uh, there's still going to be blackout blackout games depending on what region you live in, which is hilarious because blackouts originated or the the reason for blackouts is i'm sure you know is if if a game's not sold out in in your area you can't see it on the network that was the idea but it's gotten so bizarre to me right just yeah i've i've really (laughs) i don't know blackout seems to be a completely (laughs) different thing happening there it it is it really is there's no there's especially in an era that we're in right now where there's going to be 
no fans or cardboard fans at the game. Oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's no justification for blackouts. So that's weird. And then there's, there's Fox and there's ESPN who have their contracted games. And those contracts have been codified for years, in some cases, you know, half decade or longer. Mm-hmm. And so I don't believe they're restructuring those deals. So I think they're still going to be showing Sunday Night Baseball and things of that nature. But the, 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 the scope of the whole thing is, go- is going to be more limited. And if you're trying to watch a game that's inside your market, you're not going to be able to see it. And there's going to be limits on, on a season that has no fans. And probably a, a much lower viewership would be my guess. Yeah, I have to say, you know, it just feels, and I go round and around about this with Major League Baseball. I just often feel like, where where is your customer service? Like, where is your, <laughs> you know, where is your love for your fan? Where yeah. where are you showing a little bit of generosity and saying, you know, thank you fans for being with us through thick and thin. We get it, you know, America's pastime. And just every time it always seems like it comes up the other direction. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like we as fans are being more and more put upon and asked to put up with more and more. And it it's strange. It's it's really weird to me. It's like I often get the feeling they just don't care about the fans at all. No, I clearly this season I think is is a lost leader. Uh, or that's probably the, the wrong use of that term. It's it's there. It's it's a loss. In it's general. a loss. Yeah, I think that's they, the they, word they you're looking to, for. <laughs> baseball, baseball. The owners have to take the L, and I feel like whatever they can squeeze out money wise, whether it's paying the players less than a prorated amount or keeping MLB um, packages the same and keeping same costs essentially and keeping blackout dates because they know there's a thirst for any kind of sports out there mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe assuming that may, they met, they might even be thinking that they're going to see more people at that price. People who didn't like baseball before, because there's literally nothing else. There's that and, and reruns of the, you know, Nathan's hot dog eating contest. So it's, Oh, creepy. You know, you know, maybe they're banking on it going the other way. But like you said, there's there's no customer service. The, the end user of baseball right now and, and has been probably since the 94 strike season, if you want to really get into it, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the players and the fans have, have both been getting uh, the short shrift for almost three decades now. All right. So I'm going to ask you this question. I mean, I love baseball. I come from a family of huge baseball fans, but you know, at some point I'm going to run out of patience with all this. I'm already sick, sick to death of the owners. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, I just get kind of turned off to the sport overall. I'm Mm -hmm. sure I'm not alone. And what, I mean, what do you think the implications are for the future of the game in this country? Yeah. Well, I actually looked it up right before our conversation. I'll ask you, I'll ask a trivia question. Do you know what the average age of a major league baseball fan is? I'll give you a hint. It's the, it's the oldest of all the major sports. Oh, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not that surprised for certain reasons. And I'm going to guess something pretty high. I mean, it might be fifties. Yeah. 53. Yeah. See, and that's just, that's not good. (laughs) 
to state the obvious here, it's not good. (laughs) I mean, I've I've been in a few marketing meetings in my day, and I've never heard anyone say we need to get after the 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 fifty to sixty-five year old (laughs) demographic. That's that's yeah, that's really where we. That's that's really what we're looking for. Um, Yeah, or to phrase it another way, if if I'm I'm in the emerging part of your demographic, you've you've lost, right? Like if someone who's entering middle age is going to be who's next for you, you've already you've lost the narrative. Uh, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, the NFL is in a is is almost in the same boat. Their average age, mm. their average fan is forty seven. Okay, hockey is fifty. So huh. I think I think what you have is a lot of old people NBA trends uh lower in age but they're they're still i think in the high 30s these these major sports that were so venerable for decades you know people are are literally dying with their fandom now and there's and there's not a whole lot going on to replace it i don't know if it's one of those things like a private equity play it's like well we have these people they're going to walk the earth for another 10 to 13 years, let's get everything we can from them mm-hmm. for that amount of time. And then maybe by then this planet's going to be uninhabitable enough that baseball is not going to matter. I mean, that, right. that, could, that short-term view, mm-hmm. it's a very, I'm, I'm, I'm phrasing it in a very cynical way, mm-hmm. but it's what oil's doing. It's what the airlines are doing. And to be clear, it's what a lot of banks are doing. It's a lot of what a lot of tech firms are. I mean, they're not looking at their sheets beyond five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is baseball's way. All the, all the transgressions we've, we've talked about, along with a, a bunch of other ones, maybe this is their way of saying, like, we know we've got 10 years left with you, and this is how it's going to be. Wow, it just makes me sick, I have to say. Yeah. It's, it's beyond short-sighted, and, and like you said, it's, it's very sad. But if you look at their strategy, I can't. I can't put together a cogent mm-hmm. explanation for them thinking any other way, but in the very short term. Well, there are a couple quest- more questions I want to ask, and they're not happy questions. <laughs> so, I, I'll, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But so I'm a huge fan of minor league baseball. I always thought uh-huh. they were the most fun games. And every time we would travel, I would try and go to all the minor league games. And, and I would just love seeing the local families there with the kids. The tickets are cheaper. There's all those wacky things that they do between the innings. Just such a great atmosphere. And of course, I love the mascots and all that stuff. And bam, this year, canceled. Yeah. So what does that mean? I mean, now we can't even have minor league baseball, right? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's important to point out that this is the first cancellation of minor league baseball since 1901. Wow! So if someone ever is trying to convince you that we're living in normal times, I don't think many people are at this point. But if someone's trying to, you know, I mean, that's through. Go go down the list. That's through mm-hmm. two world wars. That's mm-hmm. through uh, a, de- a depression. That's through the assassination of JFK. That's through nine eleven. I mean, mm-hmm. you know these endless wars. I mean, there's just been so many things that that have had the potential in that time in that 120 years to derail us as a country. 
and and baseball has succeeded. And like you said, there's 160 minor league teams right now, and all of those represent small communities. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those represent uh, a cheap way to do things out with your family or your date on a on a summer evening, and and all the like you said, all the crazy promotions and the mm-hmm. wackiness that that implies. And it's some it's some crazy stat, but I think you know it, it's up there in the 90th percent like a, fir- a person's first exposure to baseball is a minor league baseball game mm-hmm. and if you're lucky you get hooked on the game and you follow those people up through the big leagues and you, you know you be you become a fan of of the of the big league affiliate team i mean there's just there's just a lot of good things uh for baseball about minor leagues happening over the over the last decade or so major league baseball has has done its share uh, to kill off minor league teams, mm. and we don't need to go into that. But uh, you, you know, pretty much they want MLB is is doing a more NBA like program where their top talent they want to get into the majors as as soon as they can. And and this year, actually, that that dream will come true. There's a lot of guys who were drafted in this last draft who will probably be wearing a major league uniform with no minor league experience. Wow! Uh, uh, this season, mostly because it's going to be a, a war of attrition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have this $5 million bonus baby to borrow a term from back in the day, sitting around playing PlayStation, you, you know, you're going to pull them up because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you're starting first baseman either decided not to play or got sick. Mm-hmm. So you're going to probably see a lot of young talent at a rate that, that you wouldn't have before. But the dark side of this is there's about 8,000 minor league players and those players make around $15,000 a season. Yeah. And baseball has agreed to pay them about $400 a week after June 30th till the end of what, when their season would have been, which usually I think most minor league seasons end in August. So, you know, they'll get, they'll get $400 a week for let's say six or eight weeks. But when you're only earning 15 grand a year, you're you're back. I mean, you're you're working in the gig economy. You're going to be working in an Amazon warehouse. I mean, the yeah. future for these. And you talk about windows closing. We touched a lot on 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 major league players. And those are the guys who made it, or those are the guys who are the elites. But some of these guys have been around six, eight, ten years, and it's it's not going to be a romantic ending to a long, hard struggle and trying to see that dream to fruition. No, it sounds very chaotic. Yeah, and that's not a lot of money for them to go into the world with after you know entertaining people and and bringing light to small communities that in a lot of cases probably don't have a lot yeah it's right. a sad story yeah it's a sad story i know it's getting more and more bumped out as we as we talk and so, <laughs> and here's another one that i also think is is also really a bummer and that is you know as we saw kind of the professionalization of youth sports that's happened during mm-hmm. my li- my lifetime What I saw was kids turning away from team sports. You know, they couldn't Mm -hmm. make it onto the teams anymore because so few kids would make it onto the teams. And then those tended to be the travel teams. And so you just tended to have a few really, really talented kids in a community that kind of dominated the sports. And as the kids couldn't make it onto the teams, they turned to individual sports. And, and in a way that's great, right? Cause we saw the 
rise of sports like uh, skateboarding, which I think is such a wonderful sport and surfing and, you know, just kind of doing their own thing. But I also think there were a lot of broken hearts along mm. the way. And that's always, you know, really hurt me that there wasn't room for the mediocre player and, and right. for, yeah, for kids that really weren't, you know, going to be the, the all-stars and the winning the championships and all that. And so, you know, now I, I, I worry that this only adds, this only compounds the problem, right? Mm-hmm. That there are fewer opportunities and fewer games and they see less uh, sports, they see fewer role models. So I, I don't know if you have any observations about that. If there are, you think there's any hope for us to kind of save team sports so that it, so that they're fun again. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh at all the, all this stuff either. Like I'm deeply hurt. I feel like when I, when we, when we chuckle, it's, it's like almost a nervous laugh or a sad laugh. So it's funny. I was talking. I mean, I'm laughing to hide the tears, but I think, well, a few things, and this is, this is maybe its own podcast, but I'll try to run, run through it pretty quickly. I think the first off the, the club sports, I don't know what you want to call it. The specter of club sports has absolutely done a lot of things and they're not all positive. Most, most of what they've done is they've created a wall around the players who are not only talented enough to participate in them, but in, you have to also come from a family that is wealthy enough and has a flexible enough time schedule to be able to afford all the things that come with club sports, the uniforms, the travel, yeah. uh, the private coaching, more travel. Uh, a lot of a lot of these kids, by the time they get, I'll take baseball for an, for example. By the time they get into middle school or the beginning of high school, they're playing year round on a club. Mm-hmm. They're they're traveling via plane uh, to a lot of their games with other clubs, coaches from universities and colleges, and and some pro scouts start start attending those games. So they're they're more like scrimmages than games. So this is after kind of you graduate from Little League or Cal Ripken and and get into this like you've been you've been chosen, right? Either your mm-hmm. parent has pushed you into it or you've you've somehow found your way, but the majority of players in in these club type situations are are white upper middle class kids. Mm-hmm. And so I I do think you can make an argument that it is a form of of either the patriarchy or or flat out white supremacy. Major League Baseball has 7.7% black American athletes right now, which is lower than it's ever been. I mean, you can't you can be uh, you can be a black kid and pick up a baseball bat when you're 11 or 12 and be the next Babe Ruth and you're never going to get a shot to play because you're not going to be in these walled off situations and let's say for some reason you do it, it in some miracle scenario that doesn't happen, you do get to face some of these, these kids who've been playing basically semi-professionally since they were seven or eight. Yeah. They're, they may, they may be lesser athletes than you, but they're so technically proficient and sound that you're going to look foolish. Yeah. They will eat you up and you're going to walk away from the game and someone will hand you a football helmet or a basketball. So really 
we've taken the black athlete out of the sport mm-hmm. by by putting white kids who are demographically advantaged and plugging them into a year round proxy situation where they they you know they're these hothouse flowers and there's a lot of these incubators there's a few in southern california the southern southern nevada in La- the greater las vegas area has has a few i mean they're they're sort of scattered uh, throughout the country but mostly on the west coast and then about 70% of major league talent is from overseas or you know the dominican republic uh, mm-hmm. central and south america and that's if if you want to get into that that's basically an exploitation of cheap labor because well, they come yeah, up. It poses a whole other set of problems mm-hmm, where, you, mm-hmm. yeah, where you have these people who are desperate to make it. They'll do anything. They'll sacrifice mm-hmm. anything for a shot mm-hmm. at it. it. It's, it's, it's unhealthy. It's, it's terrible. right. Right. And so, and so that's an oppressive model too. So it's really getting back to how to fix it. It is fixable. The way it's fixable is a, a city council has to move budget into youth sports mm-hmm. and and youth sports academies and because people the vast minority of people can afford i mean people can't even afford we're in this homeschooling situation people we have we have two parents in a house most of the time both of them are working and they're trying to educate their children and they're trying to do a million other things to keep their heads above water i mean the average family doesn't have the time or money or wherewithal to be this serious about sports and the families that can't afford it get serious right away mm-hmm. and their kids, maybe their kid was a prodigy in baseball and, and is going to make it. But for the most part, they, they probably burn out. Like when most people who are in systems like this burn out, probably at the end of high school, or maybe they do a couple years in college and some probably do graduate. Bryce Harper is a, is a good example. Um, the Philly slugger is a, a good example of one of the first of the generation to kind of come up through this like prefabricated system. And, and he also happened to be a super talent. So right. he, he made it all the way, but I, I think that's what you're going to get. It's, it's, it's sort of a, a lab engineered product rather than, I remember growing up and watching baseball and, and clearly those, those guys were, were just kind of, I think like Bo Jackson was one that comes to mind. Mm. who was a, early hero of mine and he played baseball and football, if you recall, and he was just a natural athlete Mm -hmm. and he didn't really learn how to hit breaking pitches, um, especially until he got to the major leagues Mm -hmm. and, and he underwent, you know, a a season or two of, of, of striking out a bunch, but when he made contact, I mean, boy, was it a spectacle to behold. And I, I just don't think, and clearly I, I can get nostalgic for, for a pass that, that I can't recapture, but, but does Bo Jackson even pick up a, a baseball bat at this point? Right. No, no way. You play football, you know, you go over here and it's just, and it be, because he wouldn't have that kind of the exposure that he would need and no one would take him on as a project. And, and I think that hurts the game when individuals who are so once in a generation talent wise, are are walled off and i and i think that speaks clearly to a bigger problem in society but if if we if we backed out money from police for example in city councils and put <laughs> 10 million a year towards a, a building a youth sports complex and and making sure everyone could come in and and some people aren't going to be the best athlete in the world and so put it put an equal amount of money in into 
orchestra and put an equal amount of money into teaching people how to paint and write and, you know, go down the list until you find what's good for you. But to speak to your original question, the original premise, I do think this system creates a lot of disenfranchisement. And, and so you go off and you go to the skate park or you play video games or you go sit under a tree and despair. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's not a lot of options for kids who don't have a lot of, of resource backing them right now. And, and lucky ones do figure out that, they, that they're really good at, at skating or they're really good at video games or they're really good at something. Mm-hmm. But a lot, uh, you know, in that I, I, I take my son to our local library or, or did before it closed, closed because, because of COVID. And a lot of, I, I, I couldn't even count the number of kids who are between I want to say eight and 14 that were there every day after school mm. for, for hours a day. And that resource, that time, whether they were doing homework or reading or interacting with a librarian or trying to figure something out, like that was their, that was their daycare. Mm-hmm. And the library didn't have enough room physically or enough programs to work with all these kids. And these are kids who should be playing sports or should be making paper mache. And they, they just simply, instead of just being, you know, obviously it's a great place to go if you want to sit quietly and read a book, but not every kid has that ability to sit quietly and read a book, but they're forced in there. So I, I think I've seen enough of the other side of, of this, uh, where we only give a certain, uh, I, I guess, social or economic or, or, or color of your skin stratification of the top people access to these programs. It doesn't. And in the end, it's, it's going to get you a lesser product. Yeah. That's the thing. So yeah, two, two comments about that is I think that's, it's often the idiosyncrasies that fans latch on to, right? It's mm-hmm. what makes a player mm-hmm. special and different. Mm-hmm. And especially like your Bo Jackson story, right? It's where we're all, relating to him. And it's just different, as you say, when it's a more generic product or more mm-hmm. engineered uh, product. And then the other comment that I'll make, and you know, everybody can roll their eyes at me for, for being an, an old person, but I actually think there's a lot to be learned from playing on a team and mm-hmm. learning who, what the different roles are, who's the coach, you know, that, that there's a lot to be learned from success and loss as a group that help you in later life. So I love the individual sports. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I love that the kids are going to the library, but it does make me sad that, that we're not also having team sports for the kids. Yeah. And I try to get my son involved in youth sports and I, I played sports through high school and I enjoyed every moment. I, I eventually gravitated towards more individual endeavors like running or skiing or something of that nature, but that's just kind of how I'm built. And, mm-hmm. but I, because of my team sports experience, even sitting on the bench, it was very clear to me that I had, a, I had this deep and abiding passion for people who could play sports and play it well. And that's continued to this day. Um, and if, if we try to silo off our children or if the society we live in because of, because certain people have access and certain people don't creates, you know, big swaths of people living in isolation. And then that's exacerbated by all the other evils that we, we have going on that the sort of, you know, finding out you're a, a widget 
for a corporation pretty early on, social media exacerbating the, the problem of being alone and in your own head, just sort of all the things that we've tacked on over the last couple decades, problems that have always been there and ills that society has, has always had, had, but we've amplified them and we've not provided an alternative outlet because some kids will, will do stuff on their own and that's great. Mm-hmm. But, but we're forcing the majority of kids to figure it out on their own. And that's, and that's not great. Well, it's just peculiar because that that's not how this country was, right? Right. We, we have offered youth sports and team sports for generations upon generations upon generations in this country. And so, mm-hmm. it, you know, I guess I always try and look on when there's this much chaos and disruption, maybe good things will come out of this and maybe by basically throwing a firecracker in the middle of all of this depressing stuff that you and I've been talking about, maybe, you know, maybe something good will come out of it. And Mm -hmm. maybe we can go back to more how things were, where you had more pickup games and, Mm -hmm. and you know, that, that, that kind of access was available really to anybody who was willing to show up at the sandlot. So right. I, I, I don't know. I'm probably dreaming here, but, but I'm, uh, I, maybe any, any kid kindergarten through high school who wants to play a season of sports should not have to worry about money or travel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to me, it's like worrying about who's going to pay your school lunch or who, or teachers paying for their own supplies. Like we've so divested ourselves from investment in our children and, and so abdicated that duty that that's someone else's problem, that it's, it's sickening as, as, a, as a father of a child who's going into first grade and knowing that if, if my resources are limited, then his are going to be too. Yeah. And like you said, that's not the country we grew up in, the country, we, the, the country we were proud of, the country that we talked about when we talked about America was one where if you, you know you could be your 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 dad or your mom might be working three jobs or might be shoving cardboard in your shoes because they can't afford new ones but but by golly if you want to go play baseball we're going to make sure you play baseball if you want to if you want to play an instrument in the in the school orchestra we're going to make sure you have that instrument if you want to be an artist we're going to give you pencils and pens and paper and paints and you're going to be an artist and you're going to have that opportunity and and I don't know if we don't even vocalize that now, but I sure know that it's not happening. Hmm. All right. Well, it's up to you and me to keep vocalizing. <laughs> so here we are in the podcast. This is this is the world that we want to have. So oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, keep, we'll keep working toward that. So tell us uh, a little bit about your uh, first novel. And then uh, if you want to share anything with the audience, I'll uh, close with that. I'm kind of disappointed that you've changed the name. I think when we talked before, <laughs> you used the name of When This Is Over. And I have when to this tell is you, over. yeah. And so I quite fell in love with that name. So yeah. you have a different name, but but tell us about that. Well, it's a, di- it's a different book. So uh, oh, okay. I, I see. I actually, I actually, had one of, When This Is Over is still in the works. I did shelf it. It may get stuck in a drawer. It may not, but it's still, it's still active. But I did have another one that I was you know, sometimes writers, as you know, procrastinate by starting other projects. And that's like <laughs> yeah. the number one thing you're not supposed to do. But this one. Oh, been... I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> if it works out for you. I'd say it's a great yeah. strategy. 
this one's called Cali Real. It's uh, the name of a street that runs an arterial street that runs through Santa Barbara alongside the 101. It used to be one of the two main drags through town uh-huh. before the freeway came. And it's it's kind of a multi-generational family story. But the hook is this the well-to-do family in it. They have a there's a woman who's probably in her mid-20s, maybe getting up towards 30, who's kind of the heir apparent to the family business. And there's a lot of fronts on the family business, but what they really are is the family of hitmen. Oh. And women, but they don't they don't have guns. They don't they don't go and shoot you or or do anything with violence. They they pretty much track you in this system of Santa Barbara, which I think people look at as a friendly town where nothing really happens. And they track you for years and years and they they kind of keep the town's upper class, I guess, moving in the right direction Mm -hmm. by shedding some of the bad seeds, by picking up on people's patterns and behaviors and and eventually they're they're not even usually there for the person's actual demise. They just pretty much set the stage for them to have a screw up or two and nature takes its course. So wow. It's kind of the story of a lot of what we were talking about, like what what privilege really is and and what having an advantage really is and what that means and 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 how some society eats its own and some society promotes its worst. But you know, nature does have a way of taking its course and or or does it, you know, or is there a helping hand? That that sounds really cool. Okay, so yeah, so tell the listeners if there's uh, anything you want to refer them to. Yeah, this is your moment. Oh yeah, if people can donate to, I know most school districts in California are taking donations that go straight to parents right now. Hmm. So if people can go do that, take that step for sure, because twenty dollars is making a huge difference to the families of the kids that go to school with my kid right now. All right. Well, again, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show and for uh, helping us understand what's happening out there in the world of sports. (laughs) All right. I appreciate the invite as always. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.